only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. And just huge reaction. Over the horizon on Memorial Day, the sun shows its We have a new theme song. People come from everywhere to witness and the greatest race. To the relief of nearly everyone. It arrives on the scene for us with just like three shows left. Because this show is broadcasting to you live from the city of... Mm -hmm. I didn't hit the post there well. MS Headquarters, Monument Circle. In Indianapolis. Jake Quarry along with Mike Thompson, Brad Huber here as well. This is Beyond the Bricks where we talk about things beyond the bricks of the Indianapolis 500-mile race, and this is the final week for it. Uh, Mike, very clearly, uh, perhaps for most people, couldn't come at a better time, right? Uh, I'm just glad that we were invited back after last night's show. And then, <laughs> and then, and then what, what happened was they, you rolled the open, and then for a second it went dead, and then I was thinking, oh, well, maybe I wasn't invited back That's right. tonight. And, th- and then Menudo showed up, and then I was thinking I really wasn't invited back. Were you having PTSD from last evening? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I, was, I was very surprised. You, hey, uh, we, we did not have that in the show prep discussion, so I was a little confused at the beginning there, but, but never, never unhappy to hear Menudo. A um, lot to talk about t- tonight. I appreciate you tuning in on, as Kevin just mentioned, gorgeous day here in Indianapolis. Right now, a little bit humid outside because it's been raining intermittently throughout the day, but that will give way to cooler temperatures by the end of the week, and we keep our fingers crossed for the 105th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. A couple of house cleaning items to begin. I want to begin by thanking all of you that were good sports last night in a show that we had that was a lot of fun. And then today, I had the pleasure, along with Derek Schultz, to MC co MC the 47th annual fastest rookie luncheon from the American Dairy Association of Indiana, one of the great traditions that takes place leading up to the race that maybe a lot of people may not know about as much, but this is where the fastest rookie qualifier is honored, and they are honored by having a milk toast at the end of the luncheon. Now, for the second straight year, The event was virtual, although we did it from a studio because it was done as basically a television production. Joseph Newgarden came by, uh, which was very cool of him to do. He is a huge supporter of the American Dairy Association of Indiana. The fastest rookie that we honored, Pietro Fittipaldi, and there was an elephant in the room. Now, Mike, you can imagine the elephant in the room when Pietro Fittipaldi is at a luncheon for a milk toast for the fastest rookie, correct? I can imagine that there were people looking around to see if there was any uh, Tropicana or Vitafresh in the house. (laughs) For those that are unfamiliar, if you are unfamiliar with it, in 1993, Emerson Fittipaldi won the Indianapolis 500-mile race. It was his second 500 win. And in victory lane, of course, I think for most that were alive in 93, they recall it, but 
Emerson Fittipaldi, when Jack Aroot was interviewing him on ABC, was, of course, the bottle of milk came in, and he said, I'm not going to drink the milk. And he said it actually almost kind of under his breath, but Jack Aroot caught it and said, wait a minute, this is a first. You're not drinking the milk. And Emerson Fittipaldi said, no, no, I'm going to have orange juice because I have orange groves in Brazil. And Jack Aroot said, you're, you're native of Sao Paulo. You grow oranges and have an orange grove. And so he said, I'm going to have the orange juice. And the American Dairy Association, let me let me give folks a little background on one of the great traditions for those that are unfamiliar. Louis Meyer, when he won the Indianapolis 500-mile race, his favorite drink was buttermilk. You've heard Donald tell this story many, many times. Louis Meyer drank his buttermilk when he won the Indianapolis 500. His picture ended up on, I believe it was the Indianapolis Times, but it was the local newspaper. And the dairy farmers said, oh, my goodness, here is a photo of this guy in Victory Circle drinking milk. We've got to capitalize on this. And by 1946, it became a regular thing where the winner drank milk. They were given options between 2% whole milk or skim milk. Buttermilk today is different than the buttermilk of Louis Meyer's era. So the Dairy Association doesn't actually offer it, although Ed Carpenter requests buttermilk every year, and so too does James Hinchcliffe, kind of privately. But regardless, Emerson Fittipaldi did not drink the milk, at least during the on-camera portion of his interview. And the Dairy Association every year has a, a dairy farmer from the state of Indiana that is selected to be the milk you know, distributor. There is one who does it, and there is a rookie farmer that is apprenticing for when they become the distributor the next year. Now, Jill Huyen of Plymouth, Indiana, who's a dairy farmer, this year will become the first dairy farmer to do it on back-to-back years because even though she handed the bottle to Takuma Sato last year, they're having her back this year for the fact that she didn't really do it in a in a proper setting because of COVID. So at any rate, that's the backstory there. Whoever it was in 1993 that was responsible for distributing the milk, Mike Thompson, they get absolutely the persistence award because that bottle of milk is floating through that minute and a half of television the entire time. They were not taking no for an answer. Uh, that's right. Now, I don't remember Jack Aroot. Did Jack Aroot say that that's never happened before? Because that's actually not true. There were There was another driver that had declined the milk previously. Did you know that? I did not. I yes, he did say he made note of the fact that it was unprecedented in his opinion. And it may have been oh. that he said it's unprecedented you're drinking orange juice. Maybe oh, what that he may, me- okay, that may that be what be. he meant. So so there was another driver actually because people I have heard people say that to me. People to this day who who are uh, upset about the fact that that Emerson declined the milk and and they say, you know, uh, it's one of those foreign drivers and he's the He's the only driver who's ever declined the milk in victory lane, and that's completely inaccurate. Because do you know who the the other driver is that we know for a fact declined the milk in victory lane? Did they win more than once? Yes. Maury Rose. Uh, total, he, total gas. He, it's, not, it's not Maury Rose, but he won the same amount as Maury Rose. Really? Okay. Um, Johnny Rutherford. No, but I, from that same era. I can't imagine that would be the case with Johnny Rutherford. Bobby Unser. Nope. Bobby Unser is the correct answer. Literally. Really? Really? Just not feeling yep, the milk Unser. today. Bobby Unser declined the 
the milk in victory lane it was to my knowledge the only other person who did it which but year do some, you know it, i believe it was 81 actually do you think but it's if, because if, he knew it was mario's milk <laughs> i do not i do not know if it was that but but uh in one of i believe it's the bobby unser story the uh the the book that came out the bobby unser story it may be i think it is the bobby unser story um but there's a there's a uh it's mentioned that uh something to the fact where he's handed the milk and he says oh i don't want that so it may have been 75 but i i i think it was actually 81 but uh bobby unser absolutely did decline the milk once, well so pietro fittipaldi could not have been better today about it. When he came out, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's on the stage, and I had told him ahead of time, like, look, it's kind of the elephant in the room. So behind him was a large photo. They had photos of other fastest rookie qualifiers from the past, and one of them was Colton Herta. And so I said to Pietro Fittipaldi, do you know the hometown of Colton Herta? Now, Mike, do you know the hometown of Colton Herta? Uh, he's, I assume he's from California. He is from Valencia, California. Okay. So I said to him. Oh, by the way, you know his you know his father went to Ohio State University. You did know that, correct? Which one's father? Colton Herta's father went to the the Ohio State University. I block out any information about Ohio State that I acquire, <laughs> especially after the Ohio State Clemson game this past winter. But um, at any rate, I did not know that Brian Herta went to Ohio State. By the way, but. He did. So Colton Herta is from Valencia, California. So I said to Pietro Fittipaldi, he is from Valencia, which of course is a kind of orange grove. And that is the only reference to oranges we will make during this milk luncheon. And Fittipaldi got a kick out of it and could not have been better. Took the photos, did the milk, did the milk toast with Joseph Newgarden, was extremely appreciative, was extremely humble, was extremely respectful of the tradition of it all and all that came with it, the $10,000 check. So kudos to Pietro Fittipaldi for having fun with that. And in addition to that, Pietro Fittipaldi um, was, I think, also moved, as was I, by the fact that in my script, Mike, and I think that you will appreciate this, the American Dairy Association made sure at the very beginning of the program today that we paid respects to 1995 fastest rookie qualifier Andre Ribeiro, which I thought was a very classy move. That is a classy move. And and as I mentioned over the weekend, you and I talked about this uh, during our qualifying coverage. Um, Andre Ribeiro's very sadly missed. It's a, it's a, it's just a tragedy that we lost him at such a young age. And he was just a really, really good guy. And uh, I enjoyed every interaction I ever had with him. He was, he was a, he was not a, he was not a very vocal guy. He's not one of those, you know, not a James Hinchcliffe, you know, dancing type guy or anything like that. He was a quiet guy, but, but he was always, always very friendly and absolutely sadly missed and just a really, really good guy. And, he drove in the 500 one time, and but uh, as I mentioned to you over the weekend on the air, he's always going to have on on his racing resume. He is a 500 mile race winner because he won the 1996 Michigan 500. Mike, tonight in the program, we are going to get into something that is people are very passionate about, and admittedly, tonight is kind of your night. Last night, I, I wanted so badly to hear Menudo, and so we we did Menudo, and like I mentioned, Friday. For the last show that we do, we're going to do near misses of the 1990s, which will be fantastic, and I look forward to that. Um, but tonight, I wanted to, to to get into an arena that is kind of your area of expertise, 
your area that you are as passionate about as anybody I know, and you probably know more about it than anybody I know. Uh, and that is something that also people are going to have an opportunity to be involved with. I believe this weekend is back on. Am I correct in saying this? Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about memorabilia and things like that tonight, which is kind of fun. And that's that is in my wheelhouse a little bit since I I am the second vice president of the National Indy 500 Collectors Club, which I'm very proud of that. And uh, excited that the the indie memorabilia show is back on. It's usually held at the 500 uh, at the at the Motor Speedway on Legends Day, but this year the uh, it's not going to be able to be held at the track because Legends Day the the track is closed with uh, you know the exception of uh, you can you can go over to the museum as I understand it, but uh, the track is closed, so uh, the museum or the, the uh, memorabilia show is now been moved over to the Embassy Suites Event Center in Plainfield, which is actually very beneficial to me because I basically live in Plainfield. So it's nice for me because I don't have as far to drive now. Uh, but it's a really exciting deal because it's a, it's a two-day show this year, and it's Friday from 4 to 8 and Saturday from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. So the neat part about this situation is uh, we're, you know, with some help of uh, a couple of guys who are really well known in the uh, memorabilia world. Uh, Craig Huffman is one and uh, a guy by the name of Kendall Wildman. They were able to put together a show on really short notice, which is good because, you know, last year there was no show and, and uh, we were able to kind of salvage a show this year. So very excited about that. So let me and begin by, also, oh, go ahead, Mike. I was going to say there's also a big auction over at Ripley Auction, Dan Ripley's auction house on Thursday with some really cool uh indycar indianapolis 500 memorabilia some nascar memorabilia and that's something that you could participate in even if you're not in indiana i mean you could you could bid on that in denmark if you're listening to the show in denmark so anywhere in the world you can participate in that auction so that's a really cool thing that is uh thursday at 1 p.m as well so. now denmark is danish right that is and, correct and dutch and the reason, is holland right i always that, get that, that confused correct. That okay. is correct. Dutch is Holland. And, and the, the reason I just dropped Denmark just randomly is because if you look at my last name, it ends in S-E-N, which is, of course, Scandinavian. And I have Danish heritage. So Ed occasionally Sorensen, I will just Long yeah, time just sportscaster Ed Sorensen used to go berserk when people would spell his name S-O-N because it was S-E-N. And he would always point out that it's Scandinavian. Yep. Mine is Scandinavian as well. I have Danish heritage. And that's the reason why mine ends in S-E-N and not S-O-N now, as well. If you were to have breakfast with the gal, I know you're a married guy, but if two people were to go out for a first date to a breakfast and each have Danishes, but they pay themselves, is that going Dutch for Danish? That is going Dutch for Danish, absolutely. Th that becomes a, a complete quagmire of trying to figure out what country we're talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. This is the kind of stuff, this is why I'm an, I'm an insomniac. You know that, right? Oh, I know you are, yes, because <laughs> I, I will occasionally get a text from you like, I'll I'll look and it'll say four seventeen a.m. or something. <laughs> <laughs> and and those are sober. I need to point that out. I need to clarify that for people. So, Mike, let, let's begin with this. I want to tonight, and I I don't know if we have the capability. I should have checked with Brad on this. I would love to be able to take calls. Are you comfortable, Mike, with having people call in to say, kind of like Antiques Roadshow, hey, here's what I have. Oh. Is this common? Is it not? That kind of thing. I would love to have calls. If we have calls, I, I've been I've been looking forward to us taking a couple calls. So let, yeah, if we could take calls, that'd be fun. The telephone yeah. number is three one seven two three nine 
239-1070. I realize that a lot of people listen to us after the fact on podcast. So it's only if you're listening between the hours of 8 and 9 Eastern time here on Tuesday that you can call in live. But if you want to call in and say, hey, uh, you know, I have a bronze badge from this year or I have a fire suit that was from this driver or whatever, Mike can give you some idea, the rarity, the commonality, et cetera, of it. Now, in addition to that, Mike, I wanted to have fun with it with also incorporating a little bit about some of your collection and the one thing that I have, and I only have one thing that I have ever accumulated throughout my time, but and I've talked a lot about it, and I've written about it, so I think most people know about it. But I have a helmet that has been signed by, I would have said, all of the current living winners of the Indianapolis 500. But unfortunately, it is now all of the living winners of the 500 plus Bobby Unser, because obviously he has passed away since he signed it. But I thought it would be fun, intermittently, since it's the only thing I can really contribute to this program, some of the autographs that I got on the helmet, some of the signatures that I acquired in trying in the travels of getting every winner of the helmet, because I know there are a lot of people that would like to do the same thing or have done the same thing with flags, programs, et cetera, and they will say to me, how did you get this driver? How did you get that driver? Et cetera, et cetera. So on a couple of them, I'm going to tell a story about how I got a certain driver, and then, Mike, we will have you guess which driver it is, and to reveal the answer, we'll play a clip of that driver winning the Indy 500. Does that sound really dumb, or does that sound entertaining? No, that sounds relatively entertaining to me. Exactly. I think that'll be fun. Okay, so that's what we will do. Your phone calls at 239-1070, and as well, Mike will talk about some of the things that he has gotten, some of the things that may be at the memorabilia show, and we'll tell stories about the fun ways that you've gotten some of the things over the course of the years, as have I. It is Beyond the Bricks, Tuesday edition here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Here's Joe Leonard, driver of the Samsonite Special. I suppose you're part businessman too, aren't you, Joe? Yes, Sid. You know, it never hurts to earn a little extra money. Samsonite is part businessman, too. Their classic two-attaché case belongs to more businessmen than any other. Because they make it with the same strong materials as the luggage, so they almost last forever. Thanks, Joe. Remember, folks, the Samsonite classic two-attaché is the classic case. In two, three, or five-inch widths, it makes a great gift. Now stay tuned for the greatest spectacle in racing. Thank you, Sid. Thank you, Joe. And thanks in particular for the energy of that 1971 Samsonite commercial. Jake Quarry, Mike Thompson, we're talking memorabilia here. Mike, you want to get right to the phone calls? Shall we do it that way? Sure. Okay. If you have a question for Mike about memorabilia, and because this show is a spinoff, again, the Joni Loves Chachi of Talk of Gasoline Alley, simply a spinoff. But because of that, I know there have been a lot of people who have been very, very loyal listeners of Donald over the years. And quite frankly, I completely understand if they had decided to go ahead, um, you know, and mow the lawn now every night during this hour. But when we have somebody who is still listening that was a loyal Donald listener, it does actually, kidding aside, mean the world to me. And that includes Paul and Racine who joins us. Paul, I can't thank you enough for sticking through these three weeks with us. Well, I can't thank the two of you enough for um... – you know, carrying the torch forward. I, I really appreciate it. It's, uh, I mean, Donald, you know, you guys have done a good job. I like the, uh, the illustration of, uh, you know, hoisting the, uh, to talk up into the rafters and, uh, you know, Donald's new title and having him on, but I'm really enjoying what you guys are doing. There's so many times when you guys have talked about something and I feel like, uh, you know, 
feel like calling in and adding to it. It's been great. So thank you. And, uh, you know, you guys are responsible for a little extra uh, money in in the uh, members of Menudo's uh, royalty checks. <laughs> they each got themselves an extra 13 cents this week. Right, right, exactly. Wow, is that something? Although, I'll, I'll tell you what, the video's kind of cheesy, but the actual footage from the race is actually really good. It's kind of so, cool, isn't it? It's kind of cool. Yeah. From 83. So, um, Yes. Yeah, so, well, I think it was 83 and yeah, primarily 83. Yeah. Um, I, I have um, some official armbands. I have like four of them from various races. Uh, Schaefer 500 is one of them, like the ones the officials used to wear. Kind of a, like a canvasy type material that had elastic and you would put it on your arm. Um, I think one, you know, USAC, USAC uh, officiating crew, one from the Schaefer 500, one from the Milwaukee Mile. I'm just kind of curious as to what, if you guys know of, of how rare those are, or, you know, what they might be worth. Uh, well, I can I can tell you that the the ones that are not IMS related are a little bit harder to find. So, for example, you mentioned the Schaefer 500. Those are those are a little bit more difficult to find than the the IMS and the USAC ones that were used here. Okay, so if you can understand the the ones that were used here, there was an armband for basically every job that you could have. Okay, so I have one. I'm not kidding you. From 1970, that is the assistant chief timer. So basically, every job that you could hold from chief steward all the way down to somebody who's the assistant chief timer to somebody on the technical committee to uh, assistant chief observer. I mean, every different job had their own armband. So those are a little bit more common than the ones you're talking about. Um, the, the ones, because the fact, obviously the Schaefer 500, they, they didn't make as many of those as they made for the race here, obviously. So those are a little bit more difficult to find than the ones uh, that we see that were used here at the at the speedway. Do I they know. have Mike? Do they have an audience? Do they have a following? Oh yeah, yeah. Now they have more of a following. The older, obviously, the older you go back, they have a much more of a following from let's say 1909, you know, up into the 20s, 30s, 40s. Those are the ones that have the biggest audience. The ones that are in the 70s. Uh, have a have a lot less in terms of monetary value than those those early ones but yeah i mean they have a following i mean it's not a huge there's not a huge group of people that collect armbands uh but they're the ones who collect them i mean they they want all the different ones that they can find especially the early ones okay uh up next a city in which i used to live st louis assuming it's st louis missouri and sam how are you sam I'm doing good. It is St. Louis, Missouri. How are you guys doing? Are you actually in the arch right now in the elevator? Because it sounds like you might be in the elevator of the arch. <laughs> no, I'm not actually. I'm in my uh, working on that, trying to get it done before the uh, race this weekend. Okay, don't don't move uh, right now and just keep okay. your hand on the aluminum foil you're on. All right, what's your question for Mike? <laughs> that I can do. Hey, no, I wanted to see like in all of the uh, the craziness the past year with like the uh, the baseball cards and different trading cards going like off the charts valuable. Has there been any like one piece of Indy 500 stuff that's ever gotten above the uh, like usual? Oh, I have this bunch of programs and I'm going to sell them on Craigslist for 50 bucks. Has anything ever like skyrocketed in value at all that you know of? Great question. There's a lot. Of, yeah, great. That that is a fabulous question. 
there's a lot of things that the value has really, really uh, been going up on. And I'll tell you right now, something that's really near and dear to my heart, obviously, is the vintage auto racing autographs, especially Indianapolis 500 autographs. The really good vintage autographs, the, the prices have been dramatically going up in the last three, three to five years. I mean, prices for drivers that we were, I mean, that were, you know, back in the, you know, five, 10 years ago, you could have picked up at much lower cost than we're seeing now. I mean, the prices have skyrocketed on vintage. And when I'm talking vintage, I'm talking, you know, uh, for guys that were, you know, a lot of times I'm talking about guys who are pre-World War II, um, but, but even some stuff after World War II, that market is really hot. Um, we've seen, unfortunately, we've seen some you know, we've seen some sagging in some of the really the, the really collectible things. And one of the things I want to tell people that I really I don't think I got across in the in the first segment is the neat part about Indianapolis 500 memorabilia collecting is there's a price point for everybody. So you know, if you want to spend you know ten thousand dollars on a helmet or you know three thousand five thousand dollars on a racing suit, you could do that. There's 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 a place for you in the hobby. There's also a place for you in the hobby. At a five dollar, ten dollar, fifteen dollar price point, it's it's a lot like baseball cards uh, in that in that regard. What I like about the hobby is there really is a place for everybody right now. And the one thing I have seen though is there's a, there's been a softening in the market of the, like the climber yearbooks, the Floyd climber yearbooks, which I think are invaluable. There's just been so many of them out there available. For purchase things like that and that's and also like, true of programs is it not mike right. and the fact and, that people and, have held on to them yeah and the programs from the 50s and 60s i think the market has been a little bit soft on that personally uh what about the, the what about the annual uh christmas time crystals from the holman george family that has the you know the the winner on the back from that particular year yeah those i'll be honest i don't think those have been as they don't really move as as well as the programs or the yearbooks at all anyway but uh yeah i mean yeah the market on those have been a little bit soft because because the you know the speedway has been selling those uh, you know kind of new old stock and so that's kind of driven the prices of those down a little bit but but for you're right jake i mean the programs um uh, what people have to remember a lot of times is i i would get calls and i still get calls all the time somebody will call me up and they'll say I've got a lot of old, really old stuff I want to sell. And, you know, I'm always interested in buying a collection if there's something in the collection I want to buy for myself or or I'll pass it on to somebody else who might want the collection. And then somebody will say, well, the really old stuff is from like 1970. You know, so I'm thinking in my mind, old stuff is the 20s, right? Well, to them, they're, they're thinking it's, you know, I've got a 1969 program. Well, I mean, they sold probably conservatively a hundred thousand of those programs and a lot of people kept their programs. So there's not as much demand for those items as there are, you know, if you've got one from the twenties, that's in really nice condition, obviously there's much more demand for those, but, but the caller, our, our caller that, I mean, that's a great question. Um, there's been a massive boom. Uh, anybody who's been following it, there has been a massive boom ever since the beginning of the pandemic in baseball cards, sports cards, uh, really really huge increase in prices and we've seen a little bit of that in the auto racing memorabilia world of course we're a little bit much you know more of a niche collecting world compared to the baseball cards and things like that but but there is definitely been some some 
parts of the hobby that where we've seen a lot of price increases. Okay, let me describe to you the helmet, and then I'm going to give you one of the examples of somebody, the story behind getting them to sign it, because I know people ask a lot, how did you get this driver, that driver, this driver, that driver? So I'll tell you the story, and then you guess which driver it is, and I'll play you an audio clip to tell you the answer of which driver of which I speak. Now, before I do that, and I'll only do this once, Mike, um, but for people at home that have a flag or a helmet that they've tried to get signed by multiple winners, the helmet that I have, I began doing this in 2014, I believe it was, and I obviously get each year someone new to sign it if they were to win the race. Here is who's on the helmet that I have. Parnelli Jones, A.J. Foyt, Bobby Unser, Mario Andretti, Al Unser, Gordon Johncock, Johnny Rutherford, um, Rick Mears, Tom Sneva, Danny Sullivan, Bobby Rahal, Emerson Fittipaldi, Ari Leyendijk, Al Unser Jr., Jacques Villeneuve, Buddy Lazier, Eddie Cheever, Kenny Breck, Juan Montoya, Elio Castroneves, Gilles DeFerrin, Buddy Rice, does not have Dan Weldon for obvious and unfortunate circumstances. Sam Hornish, Dario Franchitti, Scott Dixon, Tony Kanan, Ryan Hunter Ray, Alexander Rossi, Takuma Sato, Will Power, and Simon Pagino. Those are all of the names that are on the helmet itself. Now, one of the drivers. Now, I obviously have the fortune of being able to be around drivers a fairly, um, you know, fairly often because of the fact that many of them in the month of May are at the racetrack over the course of years, and I'm there in a working capacity. For those that are unfamiliar, when you have a credential and you are a working capacity media member, autographs are very taboo. You don't do it when you are working. You are there as a professional. But I'm fortunate to be in circumstances, be it other events, where you can arrange ahead of time, hey, if I bring this or if I give it to someone, can it get taken care of, et cetera. One of the drivers from before my time on the radio network I had never met. Someone gave me their phone number and said, you didn't get the number from me. And I thought, oh, boy, I'm, I'm worried how they're going to react. I called the person on the telephone. They were very short and said, listen, I'm on the other line. Call me back in 10 minutes. I called back, and they said, thank goodness you called back. I was on the other line with somebody, and I couldn't get them off the phone. Da, da, da. Anyway, what's going on? I explained the helmet, and the person said, I'll tell you what, I'm hardly ever around, but I'm actually going to be home next week. If you can UPS it with a return label on it, so that all I have to do is literally sign it right there to the UPS guy, shut the box back up, put the new return envelope or you know sticker on it and, and hand it off, I will do that. And I said, perfect. Turns out it got lost at a UPS store, and I had to call this person and say, you know what, my project apparently is over. And this person said, you know, that's disappointing, whatever. Could not have been nicer about it. Called back about five minutes later and said, you know what, what am I doing? I got time. I got a great car. I'm just going to hop in the car, get a cup of coffee, and go get your helmet. Sign it and send it back. And this person not only did that, but attached a note as to what an honor it was to put their name on the helmet with the other drivers. You get one guess, Mike Thompson, which driver am I talking about? Ooh, boy. One guess and that's it? Yep. Um, Danny Sullivan. That's your guess? That's my guess. Here's your clip. 
they come onto the main stretch. It's Mario Andretti being chased by Danny Sullivan. Sullivan darts out, pulls alongside Mario Andretti. It's a drag race down the main stretch. Can Sullivan pull Andretti into the first turn, Ron Carroll? I got him, and it is Danny Sullivan gets him. Danny Sullivan gets him. No, he's squirreling. No, he's spinning. Danny Sullivan spins, but he goes around twice and gathers it. In. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti, gathered the car back up and continues on, and Sullivan only fell back to second place. Spin to win, as a matter of fact, and then I later had the fortune of meeting Danny Sullivan in the media center once and found him to be a very engaging personality. But that is the person that actually went and got my helmet from a UPS store and sent it back. Excellent, excellent call on that one, Mike. Let's go back to the phone lines. Ralph in Pittsburgh, you are on Beyond the Bricks. How are you? Good. Hey, Mike, I just got a question for you. When I was 14 years old, I uh, I worked at a Sunoco station in Brownsburg, which it's no longer there, and they gave away glasses, Mark Donahue glasses with a fill-up. Yes. I've got four, I think I've got three or four cases of those. Wow. Uh, yeah, when the, when the promotion was over, the owner of the gas station, Sunoco station, they were back in the corner, and I, I bought them for almost nothing. And they've been sitting in my garage forever. My wife's like, <clears throat> you know how that is. So I don't know. Are they worth anything? Do you know anybody well, that wants them? I want one. I want a glass. <laughs> okay. That's I'm serious. Yeah, it's their, their, the Mark Donahue 1973. I'd like to get rid of all of them. Uh, I've got, you know, a couple for myself. But I've been hanging on to those since I was 14 years old. So well, one thing, one thing I will tell you about that is, is I, I'm lucky that my wife lets me fill up the garage on a lot of occasions. So I, I will say that <laughs> I, I, I don't, I, I can't completely relate to your story because she lets me fill up the garage um, a lot. So uh, they are really cool. They're not worth a ton. Uh, I mean, I usually see them for five, six, seven bucks a piece. Uh, in fact, I've got a couple of them. And I was actually going to take a couple of them to the member beauty show this weekend and hopefully um, not have them anymore. But uh, they're, they are really cool. But that's, that's usually, I mean, I, I've seen them go, you know, they, they usually go five bucks a piece, six bucks a piece typically. It's still pretty cool. It's pretty darn cool. And if you're like me and I've got a, you know, I have a cabinet with all of the old China from not China, sorry, the crystals going back to the 50s and the 60s, and then some of them are ashtrays, and, and eventually it became Tiffany crystals that you would get every year as a media member. But, so I have those displayed, and then like now, that would be perfect in something like that. Now, the one thing I will say about his his piece compared to what some other folks have is he's got what we call in the collecting world new old stock, which makes his pieces a little bit better. So Because it's a complete still, set, you mean? Right. It's a complete set in a box. So he probably could ask a little bit more if he sells them as you know a box at a time. Anytime you hear the term "new old stock," that that stuff is a little bit better than just when you find a kind of one or two at a garage sale, that type of thing. So if he's still uh, either on the line or still listening to the program, uh, you know he probably could get you know thirty, forty bucks maybe for a box of them as new old stock because he's had them for so long. So uh, I would go that route. Um, you know, he, you know, try to seek out some of the folks maybe at the memorabilia show this weekend or, or on Facebook or things like that. I, I there's a couple of really good Facebook groups that I think he might have some success with. Okay, we're gonna do this roulette style, which is one of my favorite things to do on the radio. Line three, roulette style. Your name and you're calling from where, please. 
my name is uh, Jeff Scaff. Jeff, what's going on? Well, I've got an interesting story for you. Uh, my grandmother was John Dillinger's uh, sister. And uh, uh, he got out in the spring of 1933, and he was a big sports fan, especially cars. And uh, he actually, uh, my grandma had it. I've got it now. Uh, I can't remember the driver's name, but I think it's Meyer something. Um uh, that uh, that won the race, and he it was he got his autograph. John did. Louis Meyer. I'm sorry, Louis Meyer. Yes, yes. So hold on, turn down your radio first off. But so John Dillinger is your great uncle. Yes. Okay. Now, I mean, I would think when it comes to memorabilia, that in its own right, there has to be some stuff from Dillinger that people have an interest in. D- did Louis Meyer personalize the autograph to John Dillinger? No, no, uh, he he wouldn't have used uh, used his name. I mean, uh, he he uh, went to a lot of sporting events. He went to a lot of Cubs games uh, and that kind of thing. It's uh, not on a bank receipt, is it? <laughs> no, no. It's uh, it was done with a, a, a fountain pen, an old fountain pen. You can tell. And uh, uh, Grandma said that it was from 1933 when he got out before he was. Uh, became real famous as public enemy number one. Louis Meyer won the race in 1933. Mike, just out of curiosity, does that increase the value of a Louis Meyer autograph It's if it's verified from that year, or does it matter what year it is? Uh, it helps definitely if you have a driver autograph from the year they won, especially an early driver. Now, in, in the case of most of the driver autographs, it's supply and demand. Now, Louis Meyer lived, you know, he had a very long, long life, and he was still signing autographs basically up until the time he passed away in 1995. And Louis Meyer, I mean, he lived into his 90s. So there are a lot of Louis Meyer autographs out there. So he's not what we would consider a particularly valuable. I mean, he's not in the, you know, top 10 most valuable Indy 500 autograph, uh, winner autographs. Uh, by far, because he lived so long, and there's a there's a lot of supply out there. Now, to answer the caller's question, if he had signed, for example, you know, to John Dillinger, Louis Meyer, that would have made the piece exponentially more yeah, valuable. Yeah, I mean, almost invaluable, probably, right? Well, it would have made it much, much more valuable. Like, for example, in my collection, I've got a, a copy of the book Wall Smacker by Peter DiPaolo, that Peter DiPaolo signed to Jimmy Stewart, the actor, you know, from It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, so that piece is usually that's not a terribly rare piece to find a copy of Wall Smacker that's signed. In fact, a lot of people will tell you it's actually more rare to find an unsigned copy of Wall Smacker than it is to find a signed one because DiPaolo signed so many of the of the books. But in this case, I have one that was signed. I actually have a couple that are signed to famous people. I have one that's signed to Rex Mays, the great race driver. And then I also have another one that's signed to Jimmy Stewart. Those are much more valuable because they're signed to someone of note, a famous person, right? So had he signed it to John Dillinger, it would have been a much, much more valuable piece. But it's still it's still a good piece. I mean, a, an early Louis Meyer is still a good piece. It'd be much more valuable than one signed later in his life. I mean, you're talking... If it's on a cut signature, what we call a cut signature or an album page, it's probably a fifty to seventy-five dollar piece because his sign, a signed photo of Louis Meyer goes for about one hundred and fifty dollars these days right now. 
Okay, we got to get to a break. When we come back, we're going to bounce back with a radio call of the driver that, of all of those that I mentioned who have signed my helmet, the one that clearly was the most fascinated by it, and as they were signing it to the point where they were, they were like the 25th to sign it, they actually went through and analyzed and asked about the story of the other 24 that signed it and were completely just absorbed and captivated by it and thought it was super cool, which I thought was cool, and it surprised me. And you'll hear the audio clip of when they won Indy. And more from Mike on memorabilia next on Beyond the Bricks. The checkered flag is waving and Jacques Villeneuve wins the 1995 Indianapolis 500. The youngest driver in the field at 24 years of age has won at Indianapolis. What a call from the legendary Bob Jenkins as Jacques Villeneuve won the 1995 Indianapolis 500. And I don't know what I was expecting, but when Jacques Villeneuve came back to run the Indianapolis 500 for his third and final time, when I presented the helmet to him to be signed, he looked through and asked about every single signature on it and could not have been cooler, could not have been cooler than he was when he signed the helmet. 239-1070 is the telephone number. Jake Query here along with Mike Thompson on Beyond the Bricks. Last 10 minutes or so, uh, 10 minutes or so of the program, we're taking calls for Mike about your memorabilia or questions you might have for it. Let's go to Tim in Indianapolis. Hi, Tim. Uh, this is nothing I have. It's uh, something my brother had, and uh, it was a metal toy uh, race car. From It was given to him by my grandfather, and it had Wilbur Shaw's, uh, not his real signature, but like an engraving of his signature that was blacked in. It was like it was cast or something. Yeah, those are... Uh... There's two versions of them. There's the original version that came out, uh, you know, at the time Wilbur Shaw had become the president of the Speedway. And then there was a, a re, like a remake version a few years ago. I'm sure what you're talking about is the original version. If they're in nice condition, they, they go, they usually still bring, you know, three, two, three hundred dollars at least. Um, they're what the caller's talking about. They're usually in a silver silverish cast and and they're they have an embossed signature on the side um if they're in really nice condition they're still they have a red embossed signature uh that that's been you know kind of stamped into the side of the uh the metal of wilbur shaw and and wilbur shaw it's really cool because uh wilbur shaw is one of my is my dad's favorite driver and and uh got me a little bit kind of hooked into memorabilia when you know i got my first wilbur shaw autograph i couldn't wait to show it to my dad because you know it really meant a lot to my dad because that was his his racing hero growing up. I know that. So, Back to the phone lines we go. Anthony, you're on Beyond the Bricks. How are you? Anthony's gone? Oh. Anybody else, Brad? Okay, so let me ask you this. We'll do one more here, Mike, in terms of the signatures on my helmet. Um, there is one driver, and you tell me if this increases the value in any way. Maybe it decreases it. There's a driver I have that signed in his the characters of his native pen. That, that's actually really cool. And I that's one thing in my collection. And you know that, you know, I've been lucky enough to have my collection, uh, you know, featured in Auto Week. And my collection has been featured in the Indianapolis Star. And, and you know, I, 
I, I have, we believe I have the most different Indianapolis 500 starting driver autographs of anyone in the world at this point, right? But the one thing I don't have is this driver signing a photo to me in Japanese. And he is and a so multiple winner, and here is win number one. Jake, his last chance might be exiting turn two. Five years ago, Takoma Sato took his shot in turn number one. He did not make it. Dario Franchitti won that race. Takuma Sato now. Three car lengths in front of Elio Castroneves at a turn number three. Castroneves tries to make his move in the short shoot down on the white line. Sato has the lead out of four. Elio Castroneves pedaling for all it's worth. Twin checkers out. History will be made as Takuma Sato goes to victory lane. He wins the 101st running of the Indianapolis 500 mile. Now, Sato obviously could be on the helmet twice because he's a two-time winner. Two things here, Mike. Number one, I did not realize that you were going to include me in that call, but I appreciate I it. Did that on, I did that on purpose. Well, because, I appreciate you know, that. You post this show. Um, number two, I did have Sato, by request, sign it in his Japanese characters, and then underneath it, he signed it in English script as well. So they are both on there. So having said all of that, does that – affect the value at all and what would in the right setting that helmet have of any value or for people that have a flag signed by multiple winners etc uh everything is dictated by again by supply and demand and condition uh, you know helmets that are signed by as many winners as you have uh usually i mean they're pulling in 1500 2000 all day if they have you know aj and 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 bobby and parnelli and all those guys but then the more you add um you know especially having you know, Jack Villeneuve is not the easiest on a helmet to, I mean, he's a great guy, but you just have to, to be able to get him. He's, he's just not been as accessible to fans other than the year he came back. So uh, your, your particular helmet, I mean, would be an easy, you know, $2,000, $2,500 helmet at this point now. Two three nine ten seventy, Bobby, what's going on? Hi. Yeah. So I've been collecting belt buckles and I was wondering what the significance is of the numbers on the back. And how do you get your name in line to get those if they're still available? So the Speedway sold belt buckles. They sold two different versions, which I recently learned about six months ago. So they sold belt buckles based on uh, the, the logo or the silver badge, uh, bronze badge at the time. And what they did was the, the, the silver version or this, the silver version is actually pewter. And then there's a brass version, which is made to look like the bronze badge. So the bronze one, there was many, much more of those made, the brass, the brass belt buckle. But the the pewter version, those were very, very limited. Those were only limited to 500 apiece. So those, I've had a bunch of those recently because of a collection I bought about a year ago. And I, I only got, now on some of them, I was only getting 20, 25 bucks a piece, but some of them, because they're tied into the pace car and there's a lot of pace car collectors, people who are interested in specific pace cars. So there are Corvette collectors and there are, you know, believe it or not, Chevy Beretta collectors and Pontiac Fiero collectors, specific collectors want specific pace cars. And some of them I was getting 40, 50 bucks for because they wanted that specific pace car. So the number is it's a serial number on the back of the pewter ones based on one to 500. Okay, lastly, we're going to go one more here. We literally have a minute left in the show. So, real quick, I think it's Ron that we have on. Ron, what you got? Hey, yeah, uh, we used to sit 
my tickets used to be in the paddock across from the pits there, the gasoline alley entrance. And A.J. Foyt always was in either side of that entrance. And I'd take photos every year. And the year that he had brought all his junk up from Texas to the Speedway to auction it off, we had brought, I had taken some photos. Okay, out. so Ron, real quick, because we're in the last 30 seconds. The item you have is what? Uh, it's a photo. Not only is it signed by A.J. Foyt, but he pointed to a guy across across the, the aisle from him and said, hey, that's Jim Gilmore over there. And I had I got Jim Gilmore to sign the photo, too. Okay, appreciate yeah. it. Mike, what do you Good, Good piece. 30 I mean, seconds. Jim- yeah, Jim Gilmore autographs are not as common, obviously, as, as AJ, because AJ's uh, still with us, obviously, signed and still autographed. So, uh, you know, that's a good piece, $50, $75 probably uh, with the two of them, depending on what the picture is. Okay, memorabilia show, 10 seconds. Mike, when is it this weekend? Friday and Saturday at the Embassy Suites Event Center in uh, Plainfield, Indiana. All right, back at it tomorrow night, 8 o'clock. You going to be here, Mike? I will be here. Thanks for listening, folks.